Joe, are we doing a good job with our social distancing right now? Is this okay? Um, yeah, why don't you grab that mic right there. Um, okay, so Joe, can you just introduce yourself and share a little bit about um, kind of the role that you're playing uh, in our community when it comes to the coronavirus? Sure. Um, can you hear that? Okay. Let's, let's check that. Hi. Is it on? Okay. Hi. Um, my name is Dr. Joe Lamaster. I um, have been a member here of the church since 2011 and a member for the last couple of years. We were attending for a number of years, been members for a couple of years. Uh, I am the public health officer for Johnson County. Uh, so in this period of crisis, I'm the one who writes and signs the public health orders. Okay. All right. And I think a lot of us probably have seen uh, the press conferences, even seen you a part of those press conferences. And there's stuff on social media, there's stuff on TV, there's stuff everywhere with just, we're inundated with information. And I'm guessing that there are stuff that you see as a public health officer that make you cringe and probably things that make you affirm the stuff you hear. Can you just share with us, just drop some knowledge on us about some different times or different bits of information that we should know that maybe uh, might be true, but also some things that might not be true. Yeah, um, maybe start with the things that maybe might not be true. We'll mm -hmm. start with that. So um, there's been a lot of things on the news, uh, people saying that they were sick and needed to get tested and that their tests were not available or that they were not able to get the test results back uh, quickly. So just a word about that. Um, we are now in Johnson County and really in Kansas City as a whole, I think, uh, although Johnson County is the only county that's actually officially declared that, uh, experiencing coronavirus in the community. So originally it was just one or two people and we were tracking every contact, but now we know that there is, it, that it's in the community. Uh, so, but we still have very limited test Availability. We're trying to get more, but we don't have as much as we do, and so would like to. And so that means that when uh, people get sick, when they get fever and a cough, not everybody will need to be tested or, or be able to be tested. We're prioritizing the test for the people that need it the most. So that's an important thing to do. We're trying to get more tests, and we actually, uh, you know, once we do that, it'll be more possible to test um, more people. But right now, we're very limited in supplies. So that's one of the things to know. The other thing that I want to, that I think probably we couldn't really overstate is the importance of paying attention to um, the orders and the social distancing, and especially the things about handwriting. Um, we, this really is, coronavirus is a, cold, uh, is a cold virus, but this really is the cold that kills. Mm. And we need to do all we can uh, to try and prevent it. Uh, in most people, it will be mild. The symptoms will be mild. But in some people, they'll get an overwhelming sudden pneumonia. And especially that is more true for the people who are older or have cr multiple chronic uh, illnesses. So it can't be stated, overstated uh, the importance of following the physical distancing guidelines and practicing adequate hand washing um, before and after you eat anything or after using the toilet. We know that we can reduce the risk of getting infected, and that's why we're doing these things. But everybody needs to do them, or they won't work. Okay, okay. And and yesterday there were some new guidelines that came down for 
um, Johnson County. Yeah. Uh, can you share a little bit about some of those specifics of some things that we should be aware of now that maybe has changed even in the last 12 hours? Probably the biggest distance, the biggest difference now is that we have moved to something that's called the stay-at-home order. You've probably seen that on the news. What that means is that we're really asking people as much as possible now to stay in their homes and, and only go out when they need to uh, access or if they're working in essential services. Essential services mean things like going to the doctor uh, or the doctor's office, the grocery stores, the gas stations. Uh, there's going to be a whole list of what that entails and what that includes. Uh, we would really, the, the aim of, uh, of the stay-at-home order is to try and minimize people moving around and meeting in groups and interacting uh, physically um, as much as possible to try and reduce the spread of the virus. Okay. And what about like parents that are at home with their kids or just individuals that are home, anyone that's home during the stay-at-home order, what are some things that they should maybe be paying attention to that might be red flags um, of just potential um, spots of danger or things that um, could be progressing worse? Yeah. Well, in terms of risk of, of spreading it with each other, I think when people, the, the biggest risk inside of a household is what to do if somebody gets sick in your household uh, and, and then you're, what do the rest of the people do? Right. Because uh, it's pretty difficult. So what we're advising people to do in that situation is that if somebody gets sick and has the symptoms that are, that we think sound like coronavirus, that that person should eat separately, probably stay uh, in a separate part of the house from the rest of the family as much as possible. Uh, and kind of limit interaction uh, with the other people in the family. And that will be a time for everybody else to practice hand washing and, and uh, careful, really uh, careful um, contact kind of things, maintain the social distancing even a little bit more. It's harder for that. But anyway, uh, in terms of interaction between households, I know we were thinking about this just uh, today. Uh, you know, if everybody's staying at home and they've got kids, there may be a temptation to say, well, let's go over to Johnny's, you know, mm -hmm. Johnny, let's go over to Jackie's house. Mm -hmm. They've got playground equipment in the back. And, you know, we have to be home and they have to be home. Let's just go over there and, you know, spend our time together over there. And that's really not the point of what we're trying to do. Okay. Right? We're really trying to keep people uh, uh, to, to uh, emphasize the importance of staying in your own home. Uh, with your kids and your family uh, and going out when you need to, but limiting your in limiting it otherwise. Walks in the neighborhood. Absolutely that's okay. fine. Walk the dog, get out, get exercise. This is going to be absolutely thing. Everybody's going to need to do that. Okay. Uh, go and do what you need to do, the things that you need to do. Okay. What if the boss, like Brad says, hey, we're going to have a meeting together as a staff at, at work and let's get together. Is, is something like that, is that, is that something that's okay to do? Or can we tell our boss, hey, no way, man. Uh, we want, uh, I wouldn't advise that, right? Yeah. Um, I think as much as possible, people will want to and probably should try and have meetings online if it's mm -hmm. at all possible. The way that uh, online technology is, is going now with Zoom meetings and all the rest of it, it's sure. much more possible to do that than it ever was before. Um, there is, there's no question that, um, that people need to keep interacting. You know, this is a time where interaction and, and connecting with one another socially and, and in terms of fellowship is more important than, other, than ever. Uh, but as much as possible, we would discourage people from getting together in groups. Uh, you know, certainly the, the public health order 
says no groups of 10 or more, but the spirit of it would be to try and minimize the actual physical distance okay. um, as much as we can. Okay, and so when you talk about interaction, one of the things, Joe, I've noticed about you is that when you conduct interviews or um, statements to the media or from the media or anything like that, like you always have this non-anxious presence about yourself. Okay, and I, and I feel like, like that, that, is a, that is an incredible gift that you've given us. How can we, as just parents, as, as coworkers, as friends, how can we um, learn how to have a non-anxious presence in a, in a society that's filled with fear? Like, what, what, what have you learned about that? Well, there's a number of things. I think the first thing about it's important to remember that each of us, wherever we're at, are people of peace mm -hmm. and need to be people of peace in the society that we're, that we're in. Um, we need to embrace the t the, what's happening in the time that we're in. Yeah. Um, this is not a surprise to God. Mm -hmm. This is not God's plan B. Mm -hmm. uh, a number of years ago, one of our dear missionary friends, Bill Barlow, I think you all remember him uh -huh. uh, and, and know him living in Florida now, uh, told me there's no plan B to God. There's only plan A. This was always part of what God, was, God had in mind. Wow. He knew what was going on. He knew before the foundations of the earth that this was going to happen. And we are here in this place, in this time, in exactly where God has put us because God has a plan for each of us to engage people in this community. People all around us are anxious. Mm -hmm. uh, people are experiencing social isolation. Uh, they may be experiencing distance, a feeling of loneliness. This is an opportunity for the Church of God to reach out and connect to people, to connect to our neighbors around us, and to, um, to have that opportunity, to take that opportunity to be people of peace, to be people of comfort to our neighbors. Uh, you know, it, it, God said that in, in second, uh, sorry, Paul said in second, second Timothy, remember mm -hmm. the uh, God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, right. but of power and love Amen. and self-discipline. Uh, so when we're engaged together um, mm. with other people and we're doing, we're, we're no longer thinking about what's happening to ourselves or what we're worried about what's going on and embrace this thing that we're in the middle of, then we'll have less time and be to be worrying about. Okay, this. that's great. So let's talk about your faith just a little bit, and then and then we're going to close in prayer. So um, recently, I heard someone say that you've got to feed your faith to starve out your fears, and I love that quote. I think that's a really really great quote. How have how has your faith in Christ helped you? Um, to not be controlled by your fear. Um, you, you know more about this than any of us, and yet your faith in Christ is, has been the foundation of your life. How, how, how has that um, helped you um, just take the next steps in your life and, and, and guiding us even as a community? Well, I, just as I was saying before, a number of years ago, I was struggling a lot with fear and anxiety, especially when we first came back from uh, the mission field. I'd gone through a period of burnout while I was there, so that was quite difficult. And the verses that I was talking about really were very helpful to me, and the whole, um, the whole approach of running towards the thing that you're afraid of, mm. instead of, you know, the temptation is to try and run away and hide or try and uh, do what we can to try and minimize the thing that we think it is going to be a problem to us, but um, you know, the, the you never see in the Bible uh, God calling anyone to do that. It's always taking an opportunity to run towards, not run away. Yeah. Uh, a verse that came uh, to me fairly recently, and a number, it's interesting because a number of people in the community, in, in our church community, have mm -hmm. written that to me, and I think it's been very helpful to me. 
uh, there's this verse um, in Esther where, where um, Mordecai says to Esther, um, uh, if you, uh, who knows at this point, your God has put you in this special position, and if at this time you don't do the thing that God's calling you to do, God's going to bring deliverance from some other, uh, some other corner, but you and your f whole father's household uh, will perish, and wow. who knows if you've been brought to the, to, into this position for such a time as this. Yeah. Um, and I found that really encouraging because, you know, the, my job as a public health officer until now has been kind of a sleepy job, really. <laughs> really wasn't doing very much, you know. It's a very important job, yeah. you know, uh, approving protocols, supervising, you know, the day-to-day -day running of, uh, of a number of medical staff in the, in, the, uh, uh, in the public health department and very good and important work. But this has yeah. suddenly changed the nature of that. Yeah. Um, but now in this point in time, and I think we're all in this situation, the encouraging thing to me has been, like Esther, it's not just a position, it's not just the thing that you have to do, but it's being willing to take risks and step into, uh, aggressively step into the thing that God's calling us to do uh, without pulling back from it. That I think gives um, God the opportunity to, um, to show his glory in our interactions with other people. That's great. And, and uh, before we pray, can you, you know, every, literally every time we, we turn the news on or, or jump on social media, we just, it's, it's hard to not see um, just comments that, that are just, can be defeating sometimes, you know. Can you close us out with a word of encouragement, um, uh, things maybe that you've learned or just, just something that, that can that can not be the doom and gloom as I mean, and what you just shared was really helpful too, but like, can you close us out with just a, a challenge or uh, something to um, just take that next step in a positive mm. way mm. Um, as we look forward um, to the future? Yeah, thank you. Um, there was a verse that came to me that I thought I would like to share, mm -hmm. uh, and it was Ephesians 4.16. It was, it's from him the whole body joined together and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Um, we have, as everybody who's connected to Hillcrest um, in any way knows, we've come through a rather difficult time mm -hmm. lately, mm -hmm. and God is moving us forward in positive and wonderful ways. Um, in this time, we need each other more than we ever needed each other before, Amen. and God is giving us an opportunity through this both to connect to each other in unique and creative ways, which we need to embrace and, yeah. and look for, but also with the people around us uh, in our community. And it is our connection to each other that is from the Holy Spirit and to, and to Jesus through worship, through the word, and through staying in contact and through reaching out that the work of God is actually happening, that it, it is the, the joining together between each of us that is the life of God moving in this community. And awesome. I encourage everybody to, um, to really reflect on that and ask the Lord to give us new opportunities and new ways to do that. That's right. Would you, would you pray for us? Sure. That'd be great. Thank you. Father, thank you so much for your gift to us of Hillcrest Church, of its pastoral staff, of, its, uh, of the people who are watching this now and who are part of this congregation, who are looking for hope, who are looking for Jesus in the middle of all this. 
Lord, we ask for your peace and for, um, as I was saying, creative ideas and inspiration and Holy Spirit nudging to, do, to move towards other people, to see how to pray for people and connect and, uh, and to reach out a helping hand to our neighbors in any way that we can. We want to also pray, Lord, for all those who are in health care and in the essential services uh, that have to continue serving face-to-face, -face, that they can all stay encouraged and not get exhausted and overwhelmed and know your guidance and support until this is over. Um, this is your world, Lord. This is your situation, and we are in it with you, and we thank you for it. Open the doors of heaven and let the glory of God flow through the church of God into this city, into this nation, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Joe. Good morning, church. This is my fourth Sunday here. Last week we had a very skeleton crew. This week there's just a couple of you out there. I'm making a huge impact. I can see that already. In fact, I'm sitting around in my house. I, I, you know this. I've been alone uh, living, living here uh, waiting for my wife to show up. She came in uh, yesterday. But uh, before she came in yesterday morning, I'm thinking, where can I go to practice this social isolation that uh, Dr. Joe has been talking about? And so I thought, you know, uh, I, I understand that one of the greatest jazz legends of all time is buried right here in Kansas City. His name uh, was Charlie Parker, Charlie the Bird Parker. Probably most of you know that. Um, I'm, I'm a bit of a jazz uh, junkie, so I decided that I was going to look up the cemetery in which he is uh, located and drive there. And it's somewhere way out in, in northeast Kansas uh, City, someplace. And I went there, and, uh, and there it was, his gravestone with a picture of a saxophone. And I just sort of stood there for a second. And it occurred to me that I was in one of the places in the city where there's no coronavirus. None. Right there. And so uh, that, that was how I'm sort of dealing with, uh, with this social isolation. Well, as you know, we have been in a series of sermons uh, in the book of Ephesians, and we're going to continue to do that today. And in the book of Ephesians, we are in, a, in effect discovering the many facets of our identity in Jesus Christ according to Paul in this little book. And we looked a couple weeks ago at the nature of identity as sort of a unique imprint of God uh, and God's character on us, if you, if you recall. Last week, we discovered that our identity in Christ entitles us to an inheritance that, uh, that isn't going to burn up or go away or disappear from us uh, when the stock market goes down, but it's an inheritance that gives us access to the very presence and power of God. So this week I want to pick up uh, in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul uh, begins to describe our identity in the context of something he calls new life in Christ. But before we dive into Ephesians, let me begin by teasing you with a little bit of a question. Uh, and, and here it is on the screen. What kind of life do you live? How would you describe your life to someone who asked you that question? Maybe even right now. 
I'm isolated. I'm discouraged. I'm, I'm afraid. Maybe those are some of the answers you might give. Some of us might ponder this question, and we might even lie, uh, and we'd say something like, my life is good, when we know deep down inside that our life isn't that good right now. Some of us will respond by saying, my life is busy, although that may not be the case uh, these days. We might say it's filled with activity, and it's sometimes with all this activity, it's even enjoyable. And some of us simply may respond by saying, I am blessed. In the midst of everything that's going on in my life right now, I am blessed. There may even be a few of us who answer this question in utter honesty, saying, what life? You know, I don't really have a life. I hate my job. My marriage is uninspiring. I can't keep up with all of my bills. My car needs a new set of tires. And I don't know which credit card to tap out this time. Let me, let me simplify this notion of, of uh, what kind of life we live for a moment. If we, if we only had two alternatives, and I were to ask you, what kind of life do you live? And we only have the option of answering, I'm on life support right now, meaning I don't have that great of a life. My, uh, my heart's beating, but that's about it. Or alternatively, we could answer, I am fully alive because I understand that the quality of my life is more than the sum of my experience. Let me say that again. I am fully alive because I understand that the quality of my life is more than the sum of my experience. So here's the, here's the question, sort of rephrase. Are you trudging through life waiting for the doctor to pronounce you dead? Or are you leading a life that is fully alive, awake to the world, taking risks to love and to laugh and to cry because you know that this life is not yours to live for yourself. But as Paul says, we find our lives in the new life that is ours in Jesus. You know, when we actually stop to consider how we measure the quality of our lives, we, we may discover that we, we measure our lives by a number uh, of things that probably don't help us all that much. For example, you may measure the quality of your life by the number of friends that you have on Facebook. In fact, that, that, uh, that may be another sermon to actually talk about whether friends on Facebook are actually friends, but nevertheless... If maybe you're a businessman or a businesswoman and you measure the quality of your life by the number of deals that you can do in a given week, the amount of revenue that you bring into your organization. Well, these, these are all ways in which we can measure the quality of our lives, but I want to suggest to you that there's another measure for the quality of our life, and the quality of our lives has to do with, uh, instead of those things, living more into our humanity in Jesus than any other measure that we may decide to use. Now, understand me for a moment what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that the quality of our lives is, is marked somehow by the extent to which we look or act like, like good Christians. That's, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that the quality of our lives in Christ is without hardship or pain or discouragement or even fear. Because anyone who's lived life for any length of time knows that that's not true. We go through all of those things. 
I'm not even saying that if we just try a little harder at living this Christian life, we will eventually wake up one day to discover that we've finally arrived at that spiritual mountaintop from which we can peer down into the valley and see how much further everybody else has to go. Let's just take a look for a second at Ephesians chapter 2 and see how Paul measures a life. And we're going to read from a translation that may not sound familiar to you, um, but I'm going to be reading from Peterson's The Message. You should be able to see it on your screen. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then exhaled disobedience. We all did it, all of us doing what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it, and all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with the whole lot of us. Instead, immense mercy, excuse me, immense in mercy, and with an incredible love, he embraced us. He took our sin-dead lives, and he made us alive in Christ. And he did all of this on his own with no help from us, Then he picked us up and he set us down in the highest heaven in company with Jesus, our Messiah. Now, God has us where he wants us. With all the time in the world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Jesus Christ. Saving is all his idea and all his work. And all we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from the start to the finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done uh, the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to, uh, to join him in the work he does, the good work he's gotten ready for us to do, work he'd better be doing. Paul refers to a life uh, on life support as that old, stagnant life of Sid in Peterson's translation, that old stagnant life of sin. And the evidence that we are stuck in this old stagnant life of sin, Paul says, is that you have let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. So Paul's first piece of advice is this. If we want to live a God-centered life, if we want to live this kind of uh, life that is filled with joy and risk and laughter, then we've got to be careful who we listen to. When I have a problem with my car, I don't call up my barber because my barber doesn't know anything about cars. I call up my friend Carl, who is a master mechanic, and I tell him what's going on. I say, you know, Carl, I hear this crazy clunk coming from, you know, this place in my car. And he says, yep, sounds like you've got water pump issues. Why don't you bring your car on down and I'll take a look at it. See, when you consult the right people who have the insight that, that can help you, that's what helps. I have a, a friend who uh, was, was doing some handiwork around his house, and he's not very handy, and, and I, for some reason he was changing out all of the uh, outlets in his kitchen as he was preparing to sell his home. So I was sitting in his living room with his wife, and we were chatting, waiting for him to uh, finish uh, fixing his last outlet, and uh, we, we both heard this primal, guttural scream coming from the kitchen where my friend was working. 
You know, you got to remember he was working on an outlet. So, you know, put two and two together. So we ran into the kitchen and and he was rubbing his arm with this sort of dazed look on his face. And he said this to us, I thought the power was off. You see, those are the famous last words of many do-it-yourself electricians. One reason why we find ourselves living on life support is because we are consulting with the wrong people. Or worse, we think we can figure life out all by ourselves. I love this quote that comes from Hans Rookmaker. He says, Jesus didn't come to make us Christian. Jesus came to make us fully human. You see, when we begin to live this God-centered life, it doesn't mean that God takes all the fun away. I used to think that when I was a kid, but that's not true. It means that we begin to live with a sense of joy and faith that is unusual in our culture. It's especially unusual in our present time, isn't it? The God who Paul desires us for to know, to know is rich in mercy and, and grace, a God who embraces us and wants to, to, to call us into this new life to make us alive again. And of course, living this kind of life can't happen like that. It involves a lifelong process of allowing Jesus to restore and to fix and to work on us Restoring the luster of God's image in us little by little over time. Someone asked me one time, so, you know, when do we finally reach that point of perfection that God is at work doing in us? And my answer is always, it takes a little longer than a lifetime. And here's the good news. No matter how long we've been living on life support, no matter how damaged we may be, Jesus can restore us. Jesus can renew our minds. Jesus can help us overcome our brokenness. Paul puts it like this, now God has us where he wants us with all the time in the world and all in this life and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Jesus Christ. Saving is all his idea and all his work all we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from the start to the finish. Some of you may not re recognize that passage in, in the message, so let me read it in a more recognizable uh, translation. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and it's not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Paul is pointing us to the reality that we are not capable of living into this, in this, into this God-centered life, this God-focused life, this, this fullness of life in Christ uh, by ourselves on our own. We're not capable of it. Yet many of us still believe that we are. We may say, you know, I'm not a very good Christian because, and you go ahead and fill in the blank, you know, put in all your sins there. I'm not a very good Christian because I, I, I use foul language when I, when I shouldn't, or I do this or don't do that. Or we might say, I wish I could overcome this, this temptation to sin because if I did, then God would surely love me more and fewer bad things would happen to me. You see, we don't actually articulate these things, but this is how many of us think. 
See, the problem with this kind of faith is that it leaves out the critical factor which doesn't have anything to do with us and has everything to do with God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, this is a gift from God to us. The good news of the gospel, folks, hear me, church, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has overcome death so that we may live into our full humanity and live a God-centered life. And I can't think of any better time for us to pay attention and desire this kind of life, can you? You know, my favorite part of this passage is at verse 10 where, where Paul goes on to say, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's special project. We, we, we are the clay in the hands of the master potter who's trying to make something out of us. We are the paint on the canvas of the divine painter. We are the masterpiece that God is right now creating, even as you sit in your living rooms or at your desk or wherever you may be watching this service. And the evidence of this is, is not that we continue to live this kind of life on life support. The evidence is a transformed life where we live into our humanity, which God is giving back to us in Jesus Christ. So let me ask you again, what kind of life do you want to live? Do you want to live a life that looks like a cemetery? Or, or do you want a life that is the expression of a divine creator? You see, we can offer our life to God and we can accept this remarkable gift knowing that the creator is, is still at work refining us into the masterpiece that God intends. We don't have to beg God to do this. We don't have to bargain with God. We don't have to make some unrealistic promises to God to, to live into this kind of life all by ourselves. In an age of coronavirus, and volatile markets, and disinfecting wipes. God is at work in you. God is creating you into a work of art. All you have to do is confess that you're not in charge and invite Jesus to chisel away, if you will, on the rough places of your life. Do you have any places in your life right now while you have this additional time to think about things like this where you think God may need to do some chiseling? The, the master painter may need to fix a couple places on the canvas of your life. This is the time for you to simply allow God to do that. Maybe you know someone who you wish knew this kind of life that is offered to us in Jesus Christ. Perhaps uh, they are a child or a relative or a really close friend or a neighbor and you have dropped subtle hints to them for years about coming to church with you but they never do. They just kind of roll their eyes and go, go on their way. You've placed Bible verses in, in conspicuous places around your house hoping that they will see them and somehow uh, God will work through that. 
Let me suggest to you that if, if you have a person in your life who you desire to experience this kind of in Christ life, that the best thing that we can do for those people is simply pray for them. So I want to ask you right there, wherever you are, whether you're sitting alone in front of your TV or with family or friends, Will you take a moment and think of one or two or three people in your life that you wish could begin this new life in Christ? And if you are the one who would like to make this new beginning, today is a great day to do it. In fact, I can't think of a better day. I would like to invite you to join me in prayer as we conclude uh, the sermon this morning, and the, the prayer will be on your screen, and you can pray that out loud, you can pray it silently, but whatever you do, make a decision today to give up the, the life where you have to work so hard to please everybody, including God, and receive the, the life of joy and hope and promise that Jesus has for us even now. Let's pray together. God of mercy and grace, I offer to you all that I am and all that I have so that in Jesus Christ I may become fully human. And as you begin to chip away at the areas of my life that need to be restored, I pray that my life might reflect the masterpiece you desire me to become. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.